Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome to a brand new Arsblog Arscast right here on Arsblog.com. How are you? Hope you're well. That's it, folks. That's the interlulls done and dusted for another year. 2021's interlulls are's overs, as they say. Well, actually, I don't know who says that. Pirates, maybe. Pirates did not have to deal with interlulls. Many things they had to deal with. Having wooden legs, cutlasses, scurvy, burying treasure where you couldn't find it again, but not interlulls, not interlulls. They didn't have those back then, but they have them now, but that's it. They're done. There is a a break in January, I believe, for some international fixtures, but not in Europe. There's some kind of break towards the end of January where we have a couple of weeks without games, but I think it is for rest recuperation to give the players a bit of a break maybe i know that sounds fanciful so there's probably some kind of international tournament that we don't know about they've just invented the fifa doohickey what's it thingamajig cup that everybody has to take part in it's uh it's taking place on the equator inside a volcano and you can only get there by rowing something like that But we'll see. But look, this particular interlull did not seem to go as slowly as some of the others, which is good. But we're now facing into a a period of games, which is a little more challenging than we've had in the last couple of months. I know we had Leicester and they're a good team. And I suppose if you really wanted to, you could suggest that a North London derby is a tough game, which it is on paper. But on the pitch, it was not necessarily the toughest game that we've had. Now, though, we're looking at Liverpool at the weekend. Newcastle, a bit different. Man United and Everton in the space of four days. Then Southampton, then West Ham, then Leeds, Sunderland, Norwich. Heading into the Christmas period, the festive period. Then we get the AFCON going and we lose Aubameyang and Partey and Pepe and El Nenny. So, you know, it's all ahead of us. It's all happening. And it's going to be uh, it's going to be interesting to see how this team fares. A little bit later in the show, we will have some Liverpool perspective with one of the lads from the Anfield Rap. He's coming up uh, to chat about Liverpool. I know some of you would have been hoping to hear from the mug smasher himself, but he's got a load of work on at this moment. Uh, hopefully, though, we can get him on a bit later in the season for the home game against Liverpool rather than 
the trip to Anfield. Just a quick thing before we do crack on with the show. This is something that we did last year, and it's still live. Uh, and I know that we're heading towards Christmas, and people are looking for presents, looking for gifts. If you want to keep it red and white, keep it gooner. Just go on to arsbiz.arsblog.com and we have a directory of people with goods and services and shops and crafts and arts and all kinds of things, all of them Arsenal fans. So if you're looking to do some online shopping this Christmas, ahead of the uh, the Christmas period, why not check it out? Arsbiz.arsblog.com and you'll find just tons and tons of people and websites and stuff like that. So it's categorized so you can look in specific areas if you're looking for something specific, etc., etc. Check it out and you'll be giving business to fellow Arsenal fans. And while things are maybe a little bit more back to, in inverted commas, normal than they were this time last year, I'm sure these guys would appreciate your business uh, so give that a bit of a once over and see if there's anything there that you might like um, there was something else as well which I've completely forgotten about now hmm leave it with me I'll do some thinking it might come back to me and if it does I will tell you all about it and if it doesn't I'm very very sorry because it was completely awesome I know that much and you've missed out on something incredible that you could have been talking about for years and years to come. But there you go. Right, let's get on with the show and to talk Arsenal. I'm delighted to welcome from the Football Ramble. We haven't spoken in quite a while. It's Jim Campbell. Hi there. Hey, how you doing? I'm all right. How have you been? Yeah, pretty good. Pretty good. Um, you know, it's. Um, I feel like every time I've been on, there's been some sort of doom slash gloom surrounding Arsenal. Right. But we find ourselves in a pocket of positivity, which is which is really welcome and refreshing. A pocket of positivity, yeah. It, it has been good. It has been good. I, I, I was going to start somewhere else, but seeing as we're on this, we might as well talk about this pocket of positivity. The 20 points from 24 in the Premier League, sitting just two points yeah. behind Liverpool, ready to overtake them when we go to Anfield on Saturday. Job done already, if you ask me. Yeah, Easy I mean, spy. what's two points? You know, <laughs> Liverpool are one of the best clubs in the world, clearly, at the moment. We're only a little way behind them. So, you know, what does that say about us? We are, we are back, clearly. Um, obviously, like, this is, um, this is a stern test of this, this pocket, mm. isn't it, really? The, the trip to Anfield. I think, I don't know about you, but I think what I'm hoping for from it is even if Arsenal lose this game, which would be completely reasonable because I think you've got to look at this Liverpool squad and think they're pretty much better man for man all over the pitch. You just want that consistency to still be there to Arsenal to, for Arsenal to try and sort of impose the game they've been playing just um, mm. keep the positive things because you're always going to have to react to your opponent to some degree. But I just hope we're not overawed by Liverpool and hope that we don't try and just like stifle them because they will they will kill you. If you do yeah, that. it's it's an interesting one for Mikel Arteta because he has to. Uh, I think what we have to take from this game, whether we win, lose, or or draw, and hopefully um, we could do one of the uh, one of or two of those out of the three anyway. Uh, is a sense of, of competitiveness from the game, from yes. the performance. Like we beat Liverpool at the Emirates, I think it was during lockdown, and we we beat them 2-1, but it was the most ludicrous 
2-1 win I think I can remember I think the goalkeeper made a terrible mistake and then there was another mistake yeah. by Van Dijk or something like that and it was Lacazette and Reese Nelson scored the goals you, you couldn't yeah it sounds made up yeah it? it does it does it kind of feels made up because it's so long ago in the like the surreal past when everything was locked down but you couldn't look at that win and say you know what we can take loads from that game it was a great result yeah. you can celebrate the result but there's not a great deal you could do, you could take from the performance because I think Liverpool were were pretty dominant on the night and what you're looking for when you're going to Anfield I don't think we've won there since that game when Cazorla and Podolski scored the goals and that's back in the the purple kit days um, yeah. you know is is a is the just be in the game be in the game for mm. 90 minutes or at least a good chunk of it you're not going in at halftime going ah well, at least we might try and win the second half and, and restore some pride. Because yeah. we have had some pastings at Anfield and they're <clears> really, <throat> really painful, essentially. I mean, arguably our greatest ever moment happened at Anfield. They should yeah. be terrified of us coming there. That's, that should haunt every person associated with Liverpool forever. But clearly, uh, you know, those, that, mm. that fear is gone. But I think what is interesting, in both in terms of actually from ourselves as, as Arsenal fans and probably in terms of the way the opposition set up, this team is so different already, even from the start of the season. With a, like Every single one of Mikel Arteta's, uh, Mikel Arteta? uh, Mikel Arteta's signings is, mm. uh, is in, the, in the team, in the first team, in ways that I, I think we were all surprised to see so quickly. So they're an unknown quantity to, to the opposition. It's, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how Liverpool react to that. I think the age profile of the team is definitely helping with this sort of positive sense because you know every you know you know what it's like when you're a young person every win feels massive doesn't it every mm. sort of positive thing that happens to you just like just fuels your confidence and i think we're really seeing that in the sort of in this essentially finally pulling in the same direction with with these young players that feel like a unit i mean if you look at this team in 5 years i wouldn't be surprised if there are a lot of names that are, that are still there that are still around and this is what we want yeah, well, the, the the age profile is it can work two ways, I guess. One is that, you know, you're full of confidence and and vim and vigor and all that kind of stuff. But also, I suppose in certain situations you might lack a bit of maturity, or you might not uh, know how to deal with certain situations in games. And look, Gabrielle and Ben White haven't played ten games together yet. Aaron Ramsdale hasn't played ten Premier League games yet. Tommy yeah. Yasu the same. Tavares, if he stays in the team, we don't know. Tierney could be back, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. You know, there's swings and roundabouts to this, isn't there? That that you hope in some ways that if it doesn't go well. They're not going to be like completely crushed by it. That I think yeah. they would take the residual positivity and, and the momentum that they've had from the previous uh, couple of months into the next game, which is uh, you know a home game against Newcastle, uh, which isn't to look too far ahead, but but it is a test. It is a sort of a yardstick game. This isn't it that we're two points behind Liverpool, but I think most people would say the gulf is bigger than that in general. And this is yeah. kind of how you measure your progress with these young players. How are they going to deal with an accomplished, mature team like Liverpool? And Yeah, and also if they do lose the game and if they lose the game comprehensively, which, you know, everything could go wrong. Who knows? You, you might have someone get sent off, whatever, or mm. it might just be that, as you say, they've not really faced a challenge this big. They've not really... I mean, I don't really count the Chelsea and Man City games because, as we've touched on already, the team was so different. They've not really faced a setback yet. So how are they going to respond to that if they do get thumped? Because there's Man United coming up as well. There are some tough games coming up. It has it, it has been a relatively you know, manageable run of games that has led Arsenal to picking up all these points. So um, 
I like to think that even if they do lose the game and even if they lose it comprehensively, that that feel-good factor seems to be something that is um, that is maybe a bit more robust than you know than than being able to be burst by one bad result because you know we, we've unearthed some gems for the future in, in terms of Saka and Smith Rowe and obviously Ramsdale feels like one of those players as well. And there's sort of more dotted about the squad. Mm. I feel like also really really weird situation where. I think we'd all agree there's more to come from Martin Odegaard. Mm. But that actually excites me in a way where I'm not frustrated by it because I have a real confidence that he will get back to some of the form we saw in his in his loan spell which w- was patchy but when the when the you know the high points were really high I actually feel that that, that feel good factor is is so kind of um intoxicating that I actually I, I have faith in them even if they take a pasting to to bounce back from it. But that will that will be, in a way, it will be. I think a, probably a better sort of indication of of how strong the mindset now is because that actually I think is the key thing that has needed to be reset for such a long time. Is it? It's the mindset. A lot of players um, had been in situations with Arsenal where things start to go wrong, and you feel it in the stadium. You feel it at home. There's a sense of like, oh god, here we go again. These players don't have that baggage. So I think Arteta's key challenge is to is to just stop that from ever coming back. Stop having that mentality that if things start going against you, there's nothing you can do about it. And like, oh, this is just you know, this is just how it goes. I, I think they have kind of responded in a way. And I know what you're saying about the Man City and the Chelsea games, but we we lost those games and went into an international break. And you know, two weeks of an international break after you've lost the first three games of the season does not lend itself to. Uh, I don't want to say measured discussion because that's wrong because I think there was obviously a lot of of decent analysis about where we were and and what we were doing but it does put a lot of pressure on you in your next games to come back and to respond and to to start getting wins and start getting results and, and Norwich and Burnley those two games were really um games that we had to grind out yeah. so the, this this young group of players who've come in even if they weren't necessarily part of that uh, opening three games or some of them weren't part of that, they still had that weight of expectation, that weight of pressure, which was there because, you know, small margins, fine margins in football, a goal in either of those two games, um, you know, would have made things a lot less palatable for fans, but yeah. they've played a part in in really getting things back on track. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that is another positive, isn't it? The sense that they have ground out these games where they haven't necessarily played that well. The Watford game, I was at the Watford game recently as well, and it's like mm. there are, that looked like it was going to be an opportunity that slipped away. A game that you should win, but you're not quite firing. They still managed to dig it out. I, get, I appreciate that the situation with the foul was, was you know, I think luck, luck went our way a little bit there. But mm. So they've, they've, done, they've played these games where they've won, let's say, one ugly. But also against Spurs, against Leicester, against Villa as well. They played really, really well. And I think that is actually what is what, what makes it feel like it's kind of the real deal this time. You know, there's been a lot of variation within those performances, even though it's a small s- sample size, that allows you to go, okay, like, I don't know if this team has, has hit its ceiling yet. Obviously, it's a young it's a young team, but that's what makes this Liverpool game so interesting. This is the biggest challenge they've faced, but so far they've overcome a real variety of challenges and, and they've mm. come out really well. I'm curious as to how Mikel Arteta will try and approach this one because I think you can have a plan 
when you go to Anfield. Uh, but being able to execute that plan is is the the key thing because you can say, look, let's let's start well, let's come out of the blocks fast, like we have done in the in the last couple of months. You know, the the way we started games, I think, has been really encouraging. And for the most part, I think we've we've made the most of of those starts. In a couple of the games, maybe we didn't quite take the chances, but you can have that in your mind. But you're going to Anfield and you're playing yeah. against Salah and Mane and Jota and Van Dyke is at the back and Allison. I mean, he can't possibly be as bad in this game as he was yeah. in the West Ham game. So all of those factors, Liverpool at home, our track record there, like what what way he sends them out or tries to send them out may not come off. So I'm curious as to how we might respond or whether he feels the way to approach this game is to send them out in a bit more of a cautious way so you don't get blown away in the Mm. opening 10, 15, 20 minutes. You hang on in there and then you wait for things to ebb and flow a little bit. Yeah, I think he's a a patient manager, isn't he? I think Mm. game management is is, um, certainly something that he he pays a lot of detail to uh, or pays a lot of attention to. So um, I'd be very, very surprised if we flew out of the blocks and tried to sort of like just grind them down immediately. I think, you know, there is there is an element of of just Anfield playing a factor, isn't there? Because I guess you have to have a very versatile game plan because with a team that good with some of the players you've mentioned, I know they do have some injuries, but still it's going to be a really, really strong team. your game plan can be obliterated really, really quickly because they just come at you. We've seen it happen to to ourselves so many times. They just come at you and, and at you and at you. So I think, um, yeah, I think he will be relatively cautious. But like I say, I think the really important thing, and it's certainly a test of this team, is if Liverpool allow you those gaps where you do have a bit of possession, you've got to try and impose your own game, you know, rather than just try and draw out theirs because I just, they will, if you play into their hands, they, they will just, beat you to pieces at home yeah who has been your pick of the the new players who've come in this season the signings which one has has connected with you most the new signings so far it's funny I'm always thinking of Emil, Emil Smith Rowe and Bakaya Saka as new signings no, which no, is ridiculous no, no. <laughs> um, I think um, I think Ben White um, probably uh, jumps to mind straight away it's be- between him or Ramsdale because I- I've been feeling uh, so I-, I watched the Watford game with with a, a non-Arsenal supporting friend mm. and I was just like oh I don't know I feel like we're going to concede any- at any point and they were saying like none of what you're worrying about is happening in front of us <laughs> like you are you are imagining this completely Watford are offering absolutely nothing and I was like well I don't know and I think it's because I'm still getting used to the fact that Ben White and Gabriel they're not Socrates and Mustafi you know, they are just a lot more solid. And you actually, I feel like you can depend on them a little bit more. Now, I know, like, obviously, Ben White had a, an issue with the Brentford game where with a header he probably shouldn't mm. have won, was beaten by the bounce of the ball. When you can always point to examples where, you know, someone might have made a mistake. But they just feel a lot more solid. And I know, obviously, so much work has gone into making that defence feel like that. And I think, I mean, literally all of the new signings need praise. I think, and I, I think, you know, patience with Odegaard is required. Like, he will he will come good. And also, he would have scored, he would have scored a, a wonderful goal against Watford had Aubameyang just left it. And I yeah. think he should still get the credit for that. So, hopefully, that's a sign of things to come from him. But yeah, I think, I think Ben White, the way he carries the ball out, has has been been so progressive for us and so so useful and I I, I like I like feeling confident in him, him doing that as well. Uh, quite often, I, like 
you worry if a defender does that. But like Sol Campbell was occasionally brilliant at that. We'd go on a marauding run forward and you yeah. never feel like you'd never feel like he was gonna trip over the ball and like give a goal away. And Ben White's got that same sort of kind of safe element to him, I think. So yeah, for me, certainly him. How about you? I think it's Ramsdale, just because of I try and imagine like what it would be like playing with a goalkeeper like that behind you. And I think it would be amazing. I think it would mm. be great just to have that kind of character, uh, a talker, an organizer, but somebody who's backing it up with the way that he plays. And uh, I suppose Ramsdale is a bit like when you go to see a film and you're not really sure if you're going to like the film or not. It turns out to be a really great film. There's yeah, an yeah. element of that's low exactly expectation right. that is that has crept out. And that's not to take anything away from him, but because of everything that was said and everything that was talked about before he arrived and like his his relegation at Bournemouth, his relegation with Sheffield United, you know, when he's playing at Sheffield United, he's lumping the ball as far forward as he can because that's the way that they played. Yes. And in reality, we're looking at a guy uh, whose passing range is like... I don't know. I mean, I don't think I've seen a goalkeeper ever play for Arsenal who passes the ball the way that, no. that he passes the ball. Um, and that might just be a modern goalkeeper thing, the way that the position is evolving. But there's just so much to like about what he's done and and that he's come in. He had to cancel all the or, or shut off the comments on his Instagram before he arrived yeah. because there were people in his comments saying this, that, and the other. So he was fully aware of the perception of him and the signing and all of that kind of stuff. And he's come in and not given a single fuck about any of that, mm. only on the job that he's there to do. I think it's hugely admirable. You know, it's going to go wrong for me. Nearly went wrong for him against Watford, in fairness. Yeah. But to, to I, I find, I just find him and the way that he has settled in and become part of the, uh, uh, the team so quickly, just hugely, hugely admirable. And I like, I like his goalkeeping chops as well. Mm. I, I, the, the passing range thing is interesting, isn't it? Because mm. I feel like you only noticed that Bern Leno didn't have that sort of ability to the same degree mm. when someone else comes in and does it. Like Leno's a perfectly good goalkeeper, but it it feels like an upgrade. And I, you know, I was I was as skeptical as as, as a lot of people are. I've I don't have the uh, the scouting programs that can show me. Um, Aaron Ramsdale's passing range. So maybe this is a bit more obvious when you work inside the game. And I think mm. Arteta de deserves credit. Um, and also, I think Edu does as well. And essentially everyone working on the transfers to have got these players in with the, where they suit the suit the, the plan for, for the way Arsenal are going to play down to a tee because they've had a lot of criticism as well. And a lot of the time it's been absolutely justified. Like Willian, for example, like that couldn't have been more of a disaster really. Um but the opposite is true, isn't it? For them to for them to look at a player like Aaron Ramsdale, where the entire internet goes, ah, banter club, banter club, banter club, <laughs> who's been relegated twice, and for him to immediately have such an impact. I mean, that is that shows you the disconnect between between fans and experts. You know, we all feel like experts these days. Of course we do, because we have so much access to every game and to highlights. But, I mean, it's, it's literally some... So it's someone's whole job to know how Aaron Ramsdale kicks, essentially. And, like, you can't compete with that from being sat at home watching it. And I think credit where it's due for them to do an, an excellent job, really. Yeah, I mean, it's early days. 
you know, we're only a couple of months into these guys coming into the team. And, and I'm, I'm sort of cautious because, you know, players who arrive at a club, they have this period uh, of grace, this honeymoon period, if you like, mm-hmm. where perhaps some of the flaws or what have you aren't exposed. Or if they are, you're like, well, he's just settling in kind of stuff. I am still a little bit cautious in that regard. Nevertheless, what I find easier to get behind is the strategy, the fact that there is a strategy, the fact that they went and said, look, we've got to build something. We've got like Smithrow and Saka and Martinelli at the club already, Gabriel at the club from last season who was 22 when he arrived. Let's build around that. We've got some experience in Partey, in Shaka. I know that's, you know, a bit Marmite for people, but Aubameyang, Lacazette, Pepe's there as well. That this strategy, even if some of these signings don't work, gives me a measure of comfort because you're never going to have 100% hit rate in the transfer market. Arsene Wenger didn't. Alex Ferguson didn't. For every great player that he bought, there was a Jemba Jemba or a Cleberson, you know, and we had our own. Even a Varane. Yeah, you know, and we had our Stefan Maltzes and, and those kind of guys, uh, your Stepanovs, etc. So no no manager or no technical director or no club is ever going to have a 100% track record when it comes to signings. But if you can see a rationale behind the purchases and, and the, the profile of the players, it becomes a lot easier to just say, okay, well, that didn't work. No harm, no foul. We move on and, and, and try again. Mm. It's interesting that you say that because... I- I've seen a little bit of noise that Nicola Pepe is perhaps someone who might move on. I think this mm. is probably baseless speculation because he does pop up with goals and assists, um, but he's not been used a lot this season. Um, so obviously he might want to go and play elsewhere. So I suppose it's an easy rumour to make mm. to make up, isn't it? But with his price tag, I think, I think that's quite an interesting one to see what will happen with his future because he can't be happy sitting on the bench. Um, but I also don't think we're going to get anywhere near 72 million for him or whatever no. it was when we signed him. So, yeah, he's a... That, that's he's a, a... Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting situation, that one, because he'll have two years left on his contract in the summer. And it's a weird situation where he is, or, you know, last season was our most productive player when it came to goals and assists, I think, yeah. when you combine the two. And this season he can't get in the team, but the main reason he can't get in the team is Bukayo Saka. Yeah, and there is so, there's your future gem, if you like. Um, absolutely, so it does complicate it. Where I I feel there are maybe some stylistic issues with Pepe that he doesn't quite suit Arteta in the way that he yeah. wants players in that position to play. You know, he can give you many things, but there are things that he doesn't have that I think inhibits his um, standing with the manager. I think he's a very, very good uh, option if your team is solely playing a sort of almost like a flat track counter-attack style. Mm. He's so rapid, quick, and he's very, very sort of good at getting on the end of those balls. But, you know, when he has to beat a lot of players, he sort of, he'll get two thirds of the way there and then it'll break down. But that said, you know, he, he, he does score goals. He is productive. So I think if we were to think about letting him go, unless there was someone coming in, to replace him or another academy gem mm. that we're, that's coming out of nowhere, I think that would that would weaken us certainly. And like this is the um, it's, it's interesting, like how strong the squad feels now. 
you're always going to have players that can't get in that you, you trust from the bench. And Pepe suddenly is that. Yeah. It's funny how quickly this can change, isn't it? I'm sure there'll be another point in this season where it feels like a crisis and you look at the team, you're like, oh God, we're going to get battered. Well, I think we're in a unique position Arsenal in that we are held to the standards by ourselves as, as well as, as as other people of the teams that have come before so we consider ourselves mm. to be sort of like the idea is that we are part of the elite that we are part of you know the six that would break away into a European Super League for example but we, we are not that at the moment so every reasonable result where you might drop points against say Palace or whatever because you are around the area of the table where you're going to do that seems like a crisis mm. so it's constantly like it's constantly up and down but that's I think that's true I think of of all clubs that I think recency and recency bias really feeds into how you feel about things like I think the Lacazette Odegaard thing is a good example as well where maybe four weeks ago people would have said Lacazette probably on the way out we need to see a bit mm-hmm. more from Odegaard but Lacazette He's not really the guy. And Lacazette's come in and people are saying, well, what does this mean for for Odegaard? But I mean, like he's a £35 million signing with a five-year contract. I'm like you. I think it will come good uh, with him. I don't think he's played particularly well this season, but he did win us the game against Burnley. In a couple of weeks' time, we could be talking about how he has become you know, undroppable and there's another player that'll come around. So you need your squad. You do need the squad to, to, to be reasonably deep and you need to have options and different styles of players on the bench. Lacazette gives you something very different from Odegaard. I thought maybe Odegaard Mm. would have been a better fit for the Watford game than Lacazette, but Lacazette's form took him into that one and you can understand why he got the nod. So I'm curious. um, I'm interested to see what kind of team he'll pick this weekend, but it just shows you that sometimes two or three weeks out of the spotlight and people write you off. And the reality is you've got a role to play and we're still in November there's a lot of football between now and May. Mm. Although kind of less football than ever um, in a weird way because of the lack of European yeah, football. Yeah, yeah. Right? It's obviously a problem, but I wonder if actually after the, the COVID schedule being so squeezed, this might never have been more beneficial as as, as weird as it is. I always feel, felt there was a sense that with Arsenal kind of declining, we would eventually have to do the all right, let's become a sort of destination for young players and be smart with loan signings sort of situation. So it's interesting to see that. Sorry about that. That's okay. Um, And um, yeah, so, well, here we are. And I I think actually it's, you can get behind a project like this. You can get behind something that feels like, all right, there are restrictions upon us. We have to do this type of business. We can't be a team for now, but let's really, really get behind this team for Mm. tomorrow. And it feels like this is the first time Arteta's really had that as well to to a most degree. It's been in the past. It's been like, I've got a squad of players that I mostly like, but also here are some dickheads I really hate that are making (laughs) loads of noise. Now I'm going to pay them to leave. I've, I've had to pay them to leave. Look at what that says about how disruptive they've been. So it's uh, it feels a lot calmer, doesn't it? It feels like there are fewer sort of compromises going on in, in, in the team selections. That's true. It feels more and more like his team or his squad. And, and um, yeah, it's taken a while to get here, to be fair, because, you know, there were some ups and downs in the transfer market and, and everything else. But, you know, 
the idea I think that he didn't like young players was one that was yeah. was floated um, and understandably to an extent you know he doesn't like young players the Saliba situation why is he not playing Saliba when mm. when he's got this hapless old David Luiz there and that's a, a whole discussion for another day but you know Saka's in the team Smith Rowe is in the team Ramsdale Tommy Asu White Gabriel Sambi, yeah. Odegaard, all these guys are 22, 23, 24. That's a young, young team. So yeah. it has taken some some time to get here. I mentioned Smith Rowe. He made his England debut during the week, uh, scored a goal, which felt almost inevitable because of how well he's been playing. He's just so exciting, isn't he, to watch as a, as a player. He has all these various uh, skills and qualities which remind me of Arsenal players of the past. There's a touch of Perez, a touch of Rosicki, there's a touch of yeah. I don't I don't want to place too much on him. He's wearing the number 10 shirt. I don't want to put all that kind of pressure on him, but I I find it really interesting that he was challenged to do more and to provide more end product because he wanted the number 10. There's a responsibility on you to deliver when you're wearing that number, even if you're not necessarily playing as the number 10, but he's he's doing it. He's just so excited. Yeah. I love I love the uh, the quotes from him recently where he was, uh, or it might have been another player talking about him, where there was a sense that before he had an opportunity to shoot and he left it for a more senior player or sort of dithered because a more senior player was nearby. Mm. And this season he's taken those those shots essentially. And it might have even been Mikel Arteta, um, but he he has taken that responsibility. He's it's there's a sense that he just knows the the box is his area of the pitch now, and he can you know he's he doesn't have to bow down to anyone. He doesn't have to defer to another player in that situation. And I think actually that's one of the things Albamiang is absolutely brilliant at. Like the little chilly nickname for Saka comes from Albamiang, doesn't mm. he? He seems to be a fantastic mentor to these young players because he includes them and he makes them feel like they're there on merit because of course they are there on merit. You know, you've, of course you, you can, of course you could shoot from a scoring position if you're in the box. That seems obvious to us, but to a young player surrounded by all these like superstars at the club you support in particular, that must be, must be a little bit overwhelming, but mm. the, the step up, it's rare that you actually, it's rare that you get a glimpse behind the scenes like that and then you see the progress. It's, it's like we've been, it's almost like the, the All or Nothing documentary a bit in advance, isn't it? It's like we've seen a meeting between them, they've set out the targets and now he's hitting them and it's, it's, it's fantastic. It's just, it's such an enjoyable player to watch as well. Seeing him and Jack Grealish on the pitch together for England was interesting. The, the, those calves are like, they're in vogue <laughs> now. It, they're like Popeye's arms. It's, 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 imagine the power he can get in those like when, yeah. once he really, really hits full speed. Well, I mean, a burst of ball. Yeah, I mean, he's 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 got a burst of pace as well, doesn't he? I think that's one of the deceptive things about him, and he's like Perez as well in that he's he's a bit bigger than people think. Mm. He's a bit taller than people think. He's got more physicality than people think, and you know when you when you think back, I mean, this time last year we were in the in the midst of a pretty dark run, or just even beginning a, a, a really dark run of form. Smith Rowe came into the team on December 26th against Chelsea. He was only told a couple of hours before the game that he was going to play. He was brilliant that day. Arsenal beat Chelsea, played them off the park, and Smith Rowe was was amazing. But to come such a long way in less than 12 months is a real testament to, A, his talent, B, some of the 
the mentoring or the development and the coaching that has been put into him. I think physically as well, there was talk of, you know, changing his diet so he can last for 90 minutes. He's not just cramping up after 60 minutes. Mm. It is remarkable how fundamental he has come or become in such a short space of time. Absolutely, because I think one of the key, the, the uh, one of the key challenges for a manager in, in a situation with that Mikel Arteta is in, where he, you know he doesn't have an unlimited checkbook, and you know you have got to get players for the future, is improving players clearly, and also as a young player, you've got to be open to change, and we're seeing the perfect intersection of that there, mm. um, because you you get you get certain players we see it so often, don't you see these talents? Everyone says, oh, they're the best player I've ever seen in training, and then they just just nothing happens, and you think like, are you just making that up? Because <laughs> obviously that mentality thing is 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 interesting, and also your diet is one of the hardest things to to change i know chocolate gives you cramp in this scenario i'm not i'm not going to stop eating it i'm just not right and it's like it's of, of co- like of course you want to you just you just want to enjoy what you eat and 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 whatnot and i know that arsenal have given him a chef and stuff like that and that attention to detail is obviously is obviously really really good but it is that has got to come from you isn't it and and food is is it's such a difficult thing to to get control of. And I love that his mentality is just, you know, a light bulb's come on. It's like, all right, okay, I need to change this to get there. I've had a taste of this now and I want it. And it's such a, it's such a good example to the other players in the team as well. They all seem like they've, they've got the, that, that character. And also, just changing direction slightly, I think, I just want to make sure I get this point in, but the thing I love about Smithrow and Saka is the way they, they move you up the pitch so much. Mm. They're, not, they're not static players. They both carry the ball so well. So even if it comes to nothing, you might get a throw or a free kick or you just, you just, you just make headway into the opposition's half. And we've had so many kind of teams in the past where you know, you've got your, your striker just not getting any service and just nothing's getting up there. But those two players have really changed that. Yeah, they really try and, and progress this team. I mean, it's one of Smith Rowe's great attributes, I think, is that he's so positive um, in the way that he plays. And it's not that he doesn't play backward passes, not that he doesn't play safety passes into midfield at times. It's just that when he has the opportunity to turn, to burst, to break, he takes it, and Saka is the same. And uh, you know, there's a good reason why they've got a song. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> well, I find status quo is in my head a bit too much for my liking. As much as I'm enjoying that song. Well, I mean, look, we could probably have another podcast discussion, you know, on the merits of uh, player songs and how credible they are. Like, uh, do we want them to have a song by an indie band that nobody's heard of yet? We were first there. <laughs> We were at their first gig. Only nine people yeah. were there, you know. Be hard to get that to catch on. Exactly, exactly. You've got to lean into the classics because that's what everyone knows. <laughs> All right, well, look, hopefully these two guys can uh, make the difference at Anfield on Saturday. For now, we leave it there. Jim, thanks very much. Thank you. Oh, before you go, though, just tell us a bit uh, about what uh, you're up to, where people can find you. You've got some gigs coming up as well. Yes, so uh, you can find me on the Football Ramble uh, many, many weekdays. You can find that in the magic part of the internet called Wherever You Get Your Podcasts. And also I've got a stand-up show coming up uh, where I'm going to do some new bits, some of my favourite old bits. Um, just just generally have a lovely, relaxed time, which is at Top Secret Comedy Club in Covent Garden in London on the 23rd of November. So yeah, if you go to the Top Secret Comedy Club website, you can get tickets for that over there. All right, we will put a link to that in the show notes again. Jim, thanks very much. Thank you. Pleasure.
Thank you very much indeed to Jim. You can find him on Twitter. He is at Jim Campbell TF or at Jim Campbell TF or he is, of course, part of the Football Ramble crew. You know where to get that. He told you basically wherever you get podcasts. And if you have a look in the show notes right now, you'll find a link to the gig that he mentioned. So if you fancy a night of comedy, if you're in the area, that is where you'll get the tickets. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Okay, time for a little opposition focus as we get ready to take on Liverpool at Anfield. A daunting task at the best of times, but who knows what this season will bring. With me to have a chat about that from the Anfield Rapids, John Gibbons. Hi there. Hello, thanks for having me. My pleasure. Uh, let's talk a bit about your season so far. How, um, I mean, how do you view it? It's been pretty successful to me, it looks like, even though it looks a bit remarkable when you see the Premier League table. And look, I'm not saying this will happen. I don't really think it will. But if Arsenal were to beat Liverpool at Anfield on Saturday, we'd go above you in the table, which seems just incredible and also kind of topsy-turvy based on just how good you guys have been. So how are you viewing the season so far? Yeah, pretty good. Yeah, I think I think it's hard, isn't it? Because, you know, as football fans, you're always clouded a little bit by your last results, especially when it comes mm-hmm. just before an international break. So um, so we, we, we lost against West Ham and, and West Ham played well and obviously a good team this season. But, you know, we were a little bit disappointed by, by the sort of the manner we sort of lost that, that game, really. And, and then you have this horrible international break to sort of have a big think about it, really. Yeah. And it also came off the back of the Brighton game, which which we sort of gave away. We were 2-0 up and then, and then you know, coasting. And then, and then coasted a little bit too much, and and then sort of let them back into it. And so, yeah, I think as as fans, you know, you know, you're always sort of a little bit clouded um, about about sort of most recent results. And it's funny we did a bit of an analysis of um, of, of the last chunk of games for, for an Anfield rap show uh, a few days ago. And then you look at it and think, well, hang on, we we, we beat Atletico Madrid home and away, and then and then went to Old Trafford and win five 0 yeah. uh, and, and suddenly we're all sort of doom and gloom, you know. But that's that's football fans, isn't it? We're all 
all we're all we're all we're all off our heads. Um, <laughs> so yeah. So generally, when we when we properly look at it and take a wider picture, and also remember, that I think the problem Liverpool fans have got is well, we've got into this mindset where you have to win. You think you have to win every game to win the title because that's what you know sort of happened uh, mm. for two seasons. Um, whereas I think this is looking like it's going to be a a slightly more normal season, really, in terms of you know a team getting high eighties, early nineties wins, uh, and and adjusting to that I think is a bit of a challenge as well I mean I mean that's it once you sort of set some standards uh, as Liverpool have done and you know those battles at Manchester City you know the the season you didn't win the league by whatever it was a point it was just ridiculous you know to 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 have that kind of record and not win the league does it make things like the West Ham defeat the Brighton defeat feel a little bit worse that you do have to kind of step back and look at them in a kind of context and is it possible to to see those two results as something of, let's just say, a little blip that every team is going to go through a period in a season where results aren't quite as good as you would like. Um, but I mean, a defeat and a draw, it's not the end of the world. Yeah, it's not, no. And, and I think perspective is needed. But the, the only sort of slightly cons- concern as well is that, you know, when you sort of look at look at the table and look where our results come. We've only actually beaten two teams in the top 10 uh, this season and that's, you know, the, the, the glorious win at Old Trafford mm. and then Crystal Palace at home. Um, the rest of the times when we've come up against the side, they were in the sort of, in, in the top half of the, of the table. We've, we've generally dropped points and so that's just a little bit of a worry for, for Liverpool is that when we're coming up against sides who've got something about them and, and I'd very much include Arsenal in that category, obviously, that, that you know, that people are able to get on us, they're able to sort of create chances against us really then it becomes a, a sort of a case of, of who scores more and in those games sometimes you win them and that's happened to us this season as well you know we had you know great three two wins against AC Milan mm. and Atletico in the Champions League but then sometimes you know you'll, you'll you'll draw one like the Brighton one or lose it against West Ham and so I think I think our, our games are a little bit too much of a sort of a crab shoot at the moment really where we'd like you know we'd welcome a couple of monotonous uh, boring um, George Graham styles 1-0 <laughs> what do you put that down to because defensively Liverpool have been pretty impressive um, and difficult to score against certainly from an Arsenal perspective we found it difficult to score against you guys so I mean what do you apart from that um, Carabao Cup game which was crazy but I mean what, why do you think there's um a shakiness or an instability defensively. I mean, the the goalkeeper wasn't great in the West Ham game. Uh, you are conceding more goals maybe than people would expect. So is there something systematically wrong, fundamentally wrong, or is it just a case that the team hasn't quite found the right balance so far? I think it's a little bit of both, which is I know is a little bit of a cop out, but hopefully you'll allow me in my discussions of it <laughs> to sort of do that. Um, I think there's a couple of players who, who aren't quite a the le- very, very high level that they've set themselves. Alison, you mentioned there is one of them. It's been a fantastic goalkeeper for us and, and remains so. But but this season, you know, has, has had a couple of shaky games and also, you know, isn't quite you know, having those games where a great keeper will have every now and again, where they just sort of bail you out. I watched Chelsea against Brentford and the, uh, our games were very similar against Brentford, but, but Mendy just pulls out a couple of world-class saves and Alisson didn't. And so we draw, draw three all. Uh, they, they win by a goal. And the difference was on the day is just sort of, you know, a, a one keeper being inspired and one keeper just, just being a bit, 
sort of more ordinary mm-hmm. really and I, and I don't use ordinary there as, a, as an insult I use it as a, in terms of you know well, well you know I wasn't because you wasn't necessarily expected um to save any of those but you know you saw with 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 Ramsdale a couple of weeks ago he yeah. pulls out to save from that free kick which is absolutely unreal top keepers do that and sort of Allison hasn't done that this season really and then there's been a couple of mistakes as well like the West Ham to sort of compound it really so I mean listen this we're talking fine margins here you know I'm not sort of you know rubbishing the lads who've, who've, who've been absolutely sort of brilliant for us but Van Dijk is, is another one who's probably at the moment at, at 80 or 85% of his sort of full capabilities and now uh, Van Dijk at 80% is still better than almost every defender in the country but he, but it's still you know we were able to to um to to play in a certain way, knowing that not just not just Van Dijk, but also Joe Gomez or Joe Mata, but mm. alongside him, we were both we were both top top class centre halves as well, would get us out of a lot of trouble effectively. And then we sort of had the goalkeeper whereas this year, uh, as I say, they're a bit more normal in yeah, terms yeah. of their their level, and uh, and so you know, there's not quite the oh you know, well, well Virgil sort of bailed us out again. He's just needing a sort of a little bit more help. Um, on top of that, the midfield balance has never sort of been quite right, uh, mostly because of injuries but also we're missing Gini Wijnaldum. We obviously let him go, didn't replace him. And I think a lot of Liverpool fans who used to say, oh, what does Gini Wijnaldum do? We're now sort of seeing what it is, um, yeah. which is um, the, the ugly stuff, the blocking passing lanes and just make it, you know, you said there about Liverpool being a really hard team to play against and, and to score against, you know, um, a considerable part of that was Gini and also he was available every game. And so we're sort of seeing that. So that's a, a long-winded answer to say it's, it's a lot of factors sort of combining. Midfield, you, you spoke about, and we've seen Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain there a, a little bit, and Arsenal fans obviously know him and remember him well. Um, just to focus on him very quickly, he's had injury problems. He had injury problems at Arsenal. He had some great games at Arsenal. He had some indifferent games at Arsenal. And there was a sense maybe that when he went to Liverpool, you guys were getting more out of him than we did. But it feels to me... Certainly, I haven't watched him uh, in as much detail as you will have, that the Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain that we saw at Arsenal is very, very similar to the uh, Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain that you guys have experienced at Liverpool. I mean, he was he was great for us for for a year or so. I can't remember exactly how long it was, but when he sort of first came in and, and played in that centre of the field and, and that run we had that year to, to Kiev to the Champions League final, you know, he was sort of fantastic. You know, he, he picked up, uh, a couple of bad injuries, uh, which I think has sort of affected them. And, and this season, he has just been a little bit disappointing, really. And I think last year, you know, he, he wasn't really getting opportunities for a variety of reasons, really. You know, there was, you know, it was, it, it, you know, it was sort of tough to throw him in in certain situations. I don't think this year he can say he hasn't had the opportunities, really. So he needs to step up a, a little bit more um, he has had good games he, he plays he plays really well uh, in a Champions League game before before so mm. against Atletico Madrid and he's fantastic and, and Klopp comes out after and, and praises him and then he goes to West Ham and he's sort of not really there and, and that was disappointing really because I think I talked a little bit about the midfield balance and how we haven't been able to get it quite right there's been some games where because of injuries, he's ended up in a slightly sort of lopsided midfield that hasn't really suited him. Mm. Uh, where we've sort of felt a bit sorry for him, but against West Ham, you know, he's playing with Fabinho and Jordan Henderson. I mean, that, that's that's a gift for any attacking midfielder. I mean, what a platform to go and express yourself, and, and he and he doesn't, and so and so that's a little bit disappointing, really. So it's it's 
you know, are you able to follow up the good games with another good one, which which separates yeah. you know the top players from the ones who are who are sort of you know just sort of nice footballers? Really, I think you'll go in the summer. This contract's out in the summer. I'd be surprised uh, if they offer him a new one. So either an offer comes in with in, in from for him in January. There's a little bit of Newcastle chatter, though. I think he's right. the, Newcastle. I mean, Newcastle. Just Everyone's got Newcastle. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> uh, I think more likely uh, we all shake hands on this in the summer, and he goes and uh, plays somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Defensive um, issues aside, clearly where Liverpool are exceptionally strong is uh, up front and scoring goals. And Mo Salah was in an amazing form. And you look at some of the uh, the score lines that you guys have put up. Three against Milan, three against Crystal Palace, five against Porto, five against Watford, another three against Atletico Madrid, five against Liverpool, you know, another two against Atletico Madrid. You know, to score five against one of the most, well, uh, you know, um, defensively organised teams in Europe um, who are well known for being extremely difficult to play against in that sense. It, it really does highlight how strong Liverpool are in that area of the pitch. So if, for example, that were to take a little bit of a hit, does does that worry you at all? Like, can Salah keep up this kind of form? Uh, can he keep going at the rate he's going? Um, and, and how do you... How do you frame what's going on with him and the contract talks and the negotiations, et cetera, et cetera? Is that a bit of a distraction or is that just something that, you know, plays out behind the scenes and maybe there's more media focus on that than than actually something that, that affects a player? Yeah, it's funny because all all three of Salah, Mario and Firmino's contracts run out next summer, which is quite a sort of an interesting thing, really. Um, so mm. that's 18 months' time. Um, not, not, you know, not, mm. not the next coming summer. So uh, 18 months... Uh, which is a, which is a strange situation to be in. Obviously, all the talks of Mo Salah because you know he's the superstar, uh, but also you know he's doing the, the most talking in the press as well, sort of saying he wants to get it done, and it's all up to the football club, and you know all the sort of clever positioning that that, uh, that the footballers and, and agents do really. So 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 the most focus on Salah, but but also because he's, he's the best footballer and he's the one. You know, if he were to sign, you know you know people would be dancing yeah. uh, dancing on on, on the streets um, outside our office and. and it feels really important to get it done. I obviously hope they do, but I'm not worried about is a drop of a level of such. I think he's shown capabilities that he can go uh, f- through a season, um, you know, performing at a very high level. Really, it doesn't seem to be that the contract stuff dis- is distracting him at, at all. If, if anything, it, it's maybe sort of a bit of added motivation mm. because he's able to sort of point to look. This is my level. You know, if you if you want one of the best players in the world, which he obviously is, you know, you need to sort of be paying that money. So I think it's for now at least is 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 sort of only sort of sparing him on. I think the key for whether Salah can keep up the goal return that he's enjoying at the moment is is the others really because mm. if 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 um. So it's like it'll be um, it'll be Salah Jota and Mane um, on, on Saturday. Uh, Firmino's uh, got a little hamstring injury, and um, and uh, you'd, you'd be really surprised if he if he if he used any of the others. So it'll be those three. If the, if those other two, whoever they are, so Jota and Mane in this instance mm. can keep scoring and keep being threatened, and then then Salah will continue to get space where we've struggled a little bit in the past. As, and it would happen last season when Salah was the only one firing. It's then well, defense is going to just focus on him, focus on him, and and not sort of worry to you know as as much about about the other guys really whereas this season because they're all scoring and it's funny because the player we're actually with the best um, goals per minute ratio in the Premier League so far is Roberto Firmino um, so that just shows that you know how the others are, are sort of contributing you know and you know I think Manny's got six mm. and Jota's a, a really good goal threat he's been a brilliant signing for us Jota and so yeah, yeah. and so and so as long as the others are, are weighing in with goals I think it's really tough for defences because you can't 
you can't throw three, four men on Mo Salah because you can't leave these other guys open. So I think that is the key. And I think I think if the goals dry up for the others, that's almost sort of worse news for Mo Salah really than any sort of drop in form he might have. Yeah, look, if you're having to deal with three goal scorers rather than just one, uh, yeah. it, it does make a, a significant difference. And the Arsenal defence is going to be uh, well tested. It's a, it's a fairly new look Arsenal defence, new goalkeeper, new central defensive partnership, new right back, potentially a new left back, although I do suspect Kieran Tierney is going to come back into the team um, after the international break and after a couple of weeks out uh, with injury. What have you made of of Arsenal so far? Because there was such focus uh, on the start to the season, which was really, really difficult. But like I said, Liverpool are sitting, I think, on 22 points in the Premier League. Arsenal are on 20. Um, Early days still, a lot still to go, but there's been significant improvement uh, in the last couple of months. I, I suspect, you know, you'd prefer to have played the Arsenal team from the opening weeks of the season than this current iteration, even though I think it's going to be extremely difficult for us to get um, a result there. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's... I got I got quite a lot of shock when I saw the the, um, the the Premier League table after that West Ham game. To be honest with you, realised just how close um, Arsenal were and that, that they could go above us if if they were at the weekend. But it just shows how well you guys have done. I watched uh, the game against Leicester uh, mm. when I thought you were really impressive, and it was a sort of a you know mature aggressive performance if, if that sort of you know if those two things don't contradict each other too much um and then and then i so, <laughs> i was actually on holiday uh for your last game and it was in one of those uh it was a bar in lanzarote so there was the everton <laughs> game on and the arsenal game and i was sort of sort of half of watching <laughs> watch, watching them both uh, depending on which one was sort of more excited um so i can't do a, a sophisticated statistical analysis of, of, of that but i but I, I did think you were good for the win and i did i did feel the patience that you showed during the game and, and the, the sort of waves of attack and the, and the building of the attack showed mm. it was a well-coached side I think uh, the game does worry me a little bit to be honest with you I was wondering how bullish to be on this but I'll just be honest instead in that I think that a lot of what Arsenal are doing well at the moment uh, could potentially cause problems for Liverpool I think you know how you've built that the um, the, the midfield, you know, two in the centre to sort of sit above and, and, and protect, you know, I think will mean that, that we'll find it, you know, we, we could potentially find it difficult to to sort of, you know, to break through and sort of create chances. And and then Smith, Rowe and Saka in terms of their running feels mm-hmm. very similar to, to what Brighton were able to do against us really. And so it's, I think looking at that Brighton game and, and how they were able to, both frustrate us and also hurt us on the break. And then if you think about, you know, look, Brighton are doing really well at the moment, but Arsenal have are, are, got more quality in terms of, you know, in terms of, you know, individuals, you know, talents, you know, mm. Brighton, you know, that's not to sort of disparage Brighton. You've, you've just done a bit of a number on us recently, but, you know, in terms of, you know, individual talented players, you know, that there was more in the Arsenal ranks. So, so looking at that Brighton game and how they sort of set up and how they, how, how successfully they kept the ball as well, which is a big thing against Liverpool because, you know, we love, we love to press, we love to win it back and we love to, you know, just, just beat teams by a relentlessness, really, that have not been able to, you know, you just can't get out against yeah. them. Whereas, whereas if teams are able to, you know, beat that press and pop it around us a little bit and sort of, you know, to keep the ball, you know, it, it does take our momentum from us, really. And so I think looking at this Arsenal side and, and as I say, watching them, I feel like they're good at a lot of the stuff that, 
that we won't necessarily like. And so it, it does concern me a little bit. I think Arsenal will get chances at the weekend. I think it just it might just end up coming back to another one of these games that we've had a little bit too often this season, which is who's more clinical and, and who does it on the day. It could be another 3-2, and I'm just hoping it's yeah, which, so Which team is on the right side of it? I mean, the Smith-Rowe thing is really quite interesting because he's been so good down the left and he's added goal scoring to his game this season. And we know that Trent Alexander-Arnold likes to get forward and he's just such a, an amazing talent when he gets into the other side or the other the opposition half rather it does leave space sometimes and this is where I think you've you referenced earlier the likes of Van Dyke and Joe Gomez being able to cover those spaces when he gets forward if Arsenal can get Smith Rowe in behind down that left hand side it could spell some danger uh, for Liverpool that might be me with my most optimistic hat on but you know he is he is that kind of a player and he's in that kind of form where I don't know if it will facilitate any kind of change of focus from Liverpool. Um, you know, you want to focus on how good you are from an attacking perspective. But um, if you're worried about the player who can get in behind you, it does have an impact sometimes. It does, yeah. And, it, and, it, and it's something for the manager to think about, really. You know, I'd be surprised if we change how we play sort of too much. Mm. Um you know, Trent, he's our playmaker from right back. It's interesting, he's playing a lot more, he's playing a lot narrower uh, this season. I think that is something that you'll notice. He's sort of driving the ball almost through midfield and and that um, right-hand side midfielder is is pulling out wide. You know, that'll be probably Jordan Henderson uh, if he's fit uh, at the weekend, sort of pulling wider. And, and they're trying to get jo- um, sorry, to Trent sort of a little, a little narrower and a little bit more able to, because he's our playmaker effectively, mm. a little bit more able to sort of, you know, to dictate play sort of from there. But that means, often means it's even further for him to get back because he's not just running down a channel he's, he's also having sort of to come in as well so it is a challenge and especially as you say that whoever's playing right side you know of, of the defence it'll probably be Joel Matip uh, but Joel himself had a big injury last season as well so he's still sort of fi- finding his way um, a little bit um, it, it does sort of put extra pressure on those and as I say we're used to those guys just sort of bailing us out and thinking oh this is great but yeah. if they're not quite there and, and as I say it's only you're only talking fine margins here it does sort of make it more difficult also, as well, with, with um, you know, you could say, well, your defensive midfielder could cover, but I think Fabinho's got a, a big job in, in Lacazette by, by looking at how you guys play, because Lacazette's obviously pulling into that hole. And I think, you know, watching, you know, Fabinho, I think he's going to have to sort of, you know, be, be a bit careful not, not to allow Lacazette, you know, time on the ball and, and able to turn and things like that. So it's not it's not quite easy. It's another game I want Gini Wijnaldum. I think that's what it's going to come back to again. <laughs> well, can't have him. He's gone somewhere else. And hopefully <laughs> hopefully that's something uh, we can exploit. It'd be very interesting to see, you know, the international break maybe came at the wrong time for Arsenal and maybe at the right time for Liverpool to sort of regroup and just, you know, take stock and say, OK, we need to get ourselves back on track again. But uh, we'll see which team... Uh, can pick up best uh, after this international break. John, uh, really appreciate your time. Thanks very much and best of luck for the season, if not on Saturday. <laughs> Absolute pleasure. Cheers. Thank you to John. He is on Twitter at John Gibbons blog at John Gibbons blog. And of course, he's part of the Anfield rap crew who do amazing stuff from a Liverpool perspective. We're up against them in the FSA awards uh, coming up, I think. Next week could be uh, Andrew Allen and James will be attending on behalf of Arsblog. Thank you all very much indeed uh, for giving us your votes. 
much appreciated. We'll have to wait and see if we can defend our title as best fan media. So look, that's just about that. For more Liverpool talk, for a bit more previewing of that game, you can join myself and Lewis Ambrose over on Patreon tomorrow afternoon. As always, we will be doing a Premier League preview podcast exclusively for our Patreon members. There's also an episode of Waffle in which James and I talk about anything and everything apart from Arsenal. That's available now, plus all the other stuff that is archived and everything else over on Patreon. Your support is always hugely appreciated. Thank you so much indeed. It's patreon.com forward slash arseblog. Right. Let's leave it there for now. Thank you as always for listening. Hope you enjoyed the show. James and I will be around on Monday morning to talk about whatever happens at Anfield, good, bad or indifferent. I'm hoping for good. I take indifferent. I'm hoping to avoid bad. But let's see where we are. Let's see what kind of a morning we've got on Monday. Whatever happens, we'll be talking about it then. Have yourselves a great weekend. Fingers crossed. And we will catch you on the next one. Bye-bye. Yeah, so I've got like a completely great new chant for Sack and Smith Row. Forget that status quo bullshit. That's like old hat. It's so crumbly. Nobody wants to hear that. This is by a band. You wouldn't have heard of them. They're called Angels Quim. They released their first record on nine inch picture disc. There were only three of them ever made and I've got both of them. This is going to rock around the Emirates. Wait till you hear this. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.